This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Binyamin Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Tshuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. Today we will continue with Zadding Sheilot Chuvot of the 19th century. And we have been discussing lately many of the great Hasidic Rebbes who have written Chuvas, like the Devrechaim of Sanz, the Avnei Nezer of Sachachev. Today we'll discuss the Tzemach Tzedek of Lubavitch. Reb Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Interestingly enough, the same name as, of course, the latest Rebbe, the seventh Rebbe of the dynasty of Lubavitch, married Chayamashka, which is also interesting because that was the name of the Rebbetzin of Rabbi Menachem Mendel, the seventh Rebbe of Lubavitch. But Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson was a grandson of the Balatanya. He was born in 1789. His mother was the daughter of the Balatanya. He was orphaned as a very young child. His mother died when he was about three years old. And he moved into the house and was educated by his grandfather, the Alte Rebbe, the Balatanya. He learned very quickly with his grandfather at the age of 13, until the age of 13, he learned what is called Nigle, what we call Gemara Rishonim. Afterwards, he showed such brilliance in learning that the Balatanya actually learned Hasidus with him, including things that he had never discussed with his own Hasidim. He married his cousin, the daughter of the Mittler Rebbe. The Balatanya, the first Lubavitch Rebbe, was succeeded by the Mittler Rebbe. And Menachem Mendel, the third Lubavitch Rebbe, married the granddaughter, married the daughter of the Mittler Rebbe. He himself was a cousin of his wife, and as I said, a grandson of the Balatanya. He received smicha at the age of 17. When his uncle passed away, the Mittler Rebbe, the Hasidim wished to anoint him, to choose him as what they call the Keta Nesiut, to give him the crown of royalty. He at first refused and asked other people to take that position, other relatives. Uh, uh, it took a, quite a while, but he finally agreed to become the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. He did a lot of work in building, expanding the yeshiva of Lubavitch. He was a great fighter of Haskal and his generation. In that respect, he actually joined forces with some of the misnagdim, namely Rabbi Yitzhak Valajner, to fight the maskilim of his time. He was also very well known and in the 
world of Russia as a leader of Jews. In fact, he was given an honorary award to be an honorary citizen of Russia. He had a lot of writings, but many of them were lost. His son, the Admar Maharash, the fourth Rebbe, well, actually there was a, a whole discussion about who really took his place, and there was a split within the Hasidus at that time. But his son, who was at an Admar, told us that he had lost, we had lost a lot of his writings. He wrote many svarim that we still have. One of the classics is a, an exposition both in Nigla and Nistar, mostly Nistar of Derech Mitzvah Secha. And, of course, the tshuvas that we are going to discuss today, the Tzemach Tzedek, the Sheilot to Tshuva Tzemach Tzedek, in fact, his name, the uh, the, na- the nickname of the of the of this Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel and he is called the Tzemach Tzedek. Interestingly enough, the name Tzemach Tzedek is the gematria of Menachem Mendel. But it's even better than that. The word Tzemach is Menachem in gematria, and Tzedek is gematria Mendel. The, Rav Schneerson was not the first to call his Sefer Tzemach Tzedek. There's a famous uh, volume of Chuvas that preceded him by Tzemach Tzedek. In fact, some people call his book the Tzemach Tzedek HaChadoshos to differentiate from the earlier Tzemach Tzedek. But he's known by the name Tzemach Tzedek because of the Sfarim Tzemach Tzedek, which are the Gematria of Menachem Mendel. There's a famous picture of the Tzemach Tzedek wearing white garments. Is it an actual picture, a portrait? I don't know. But there's a picture. Uh, in a letter that Rav Salvechik wrote to a Hasidish Tamit Chacham, Rav Moshe Rivkin of Tarvadas, the Rav wrote about his experiences in childhood when he was studying in the Lubavitcher In that letter, the Rav mentioned how in the room, in the classroom, the pictures of some of the Rebbe's were hanging in the room, and when he saw the picture of the Tzemach Tzedek dressed in white, it somehow created a vision for him of the image of the coin Gadol. In general, when we look at the tshuvas, which are printed in a, in a number of volumes, the tshuvas were actually printed in 1871 or so, apparently a few years after the Rebbe passed away. The later edition that I have in front of me is an edition that was printed in, Lubav, in by the Lubavitcher Hasidim, what they call the Kahat Publishing Society, Publication Society. And interestingly enough, there's an introduction to the Sefer written by Menachem Schneerson. It's signed Menachem Schneerson. At that time that he wrote it, the, he wrote it on the 20th of Av in the year, Tavshin Hay, 1945. At that time, of course, the Freer Dicker Rebbe, the Rebbe Rav Yosef Yitzchak was the was the Rebbe, and Menachem Schneerson was his son-in-law. As his son-in-law and one of the leaders of the uh, literary uh, development of, of Chabad, Menachem Schneerson saw to it that this sefer was reprinted, 
Of course, according to the instructions of, as he writes, Morichami Admar Shlita, the present Lubavitcher Rebbe, what they call the rites, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson. And since the Sefer was difficult to get, they reprinted it in a number of volumes. But in the first volume of Arachayim, which is rather a thin volume of Chuvas, there is a, uh, an addition, a Hosafa, which is a biography of the Tzemach Tzedek, apparently written by the Rebbe, Harab Menachem Mendel Schneerson, who later, of course, became the Rebbe. And he mentioned that the uh, most of the information that he, re- he received was based on notes of his father-in-law, the rights. It was Rav Yosef Yitzchak. It's known that he was interested, the Free Dikker Rebbe, was very interested in the history of the Lubavitch movement and really did keep up history. Some of the serious scholars today question what is authentic, what's not authentic. I really am not a, involved in that field at all. But the Rav Schneerson, the the, the, the Rebbe uh, of the, the seventh Rebbe of Lubavitch printed this introduction with the biography, mentioned a few details that I mentioned today. He also said how he fought against the Cantonistim. Now, we know that there was a group of people who used to take Jewish children, young Jewish children, and bring them to the army and keep them there forever. And these children, of course, grew up basically as non-Jews. And the, uh, the Rebbe, Rabbi Nachem Mendel Schneers, and the Tzemach Tzedek, used to encourage these children to help them, to send all kinds of uh, help for them. And even though this, such an efforts were very, very dangerous, it was considered rebellion against the government at the time. But uh, he fought, Menachem Mendel fought very much against this uh, movement of Cantonistim. So exactly what periods of time uh, this was and when he was did receive an award of being a, a good Russian uh, citizen, it's hard to tell, at least I don't know. But uh, interesting uh, life of the Tzemach Tzedek. In the Tshuvas that... Uh, I've looked through of the Tzemach Tzedek. I was looking more to see the spirit of Hasidus reflected in these tshuvas. Now, the Tzemach Tzedek was certainly known as the Big Tamid Chacham, and most of the tshuvas that I did have a chance to look through do not reflect any specific um, issues of Hasidus. While it is well, it should be mentioned that you do see in the letters that are written to him, many of them are written from Bailabavacher Hasidim, and I'll point that out in some of the Chuvas. In the beginning of the Chuvas of Arachaim, right away in Simon Bays, there's a Chuva about women who prepared the wool to Vyas Nashim for Tzitzis. They didn't put the tzitzis on the talus itself, they just wound the tzitzis, getting the tzitzis prepared to put them on. Now, this tviya has to be done lishma. The women did not say that they were doing this lishma, 
But if they would ask her, what are you doing? She would say, I'm, I'm making tzitzis. But they did ne- never said it clearly. So the question was asked of the tzitzis kosher. Tzitzis made out of tviyas nashim. Now, there are two different issues. One issue that one could suggest, think of discussing, women are allowed to make tzitzis or not. Well, we know Rabbi Nutam and Gitten said that women are not allowed to make tzitzis. But most people disagree with this sheet of Rabbi Nutam and say that women cannot write tefillin. There's a special halacha, kashi yeshna b'kshiva, yeshna b'ksiva. But by tzitzis, it's not clear that women are not allowed to make tzitzis. Even if you would assume that women cannot make tzitzis, like Rabbi Nutam said, that would apply to the kshira, to applying them to the talis. But we're not talking about attaching them to the talis. We're talking about just tevia. So, we, one could discuss, is this kasher? To the best of my knowledge, this question was not even addressed. There's no issue whatsoever that tevias nashim is fine for tzitzis. Even lechatchila. I once was in a store in Geula, and they sold, me, and I wanted to buy uh, strings for tzitzis, and I bought a package, and I, they look at it, and it said, it's tviyas anashim. Men have done the tviyah. So I asked the, uh, the, the salesperson, um, do you have the same strings that were not done by men? And he said, yes, there are strings that apparently are not, do not say on them tviyas anashim. I don't think it says clearly tviyas nushim, but it doesn't say that it's tviyas anashim. And then I said, is there a difference in price? And that, naturally, there was a difference in price. So I asked the Moche, why should you pay more for Tviyas Anashim when Tviyas Anashim is kasha lechatchila? He had no answer for, for the question. I don't know if he knew the halacha. I opened up a Mishnah Bru and I showed him clearly in Shulchan Aruch that says there's no problem at all of Tviyas Anashim. Even according to, uh, this is according to uh, all Poskim that I know. But the question here was asked, how do you determine if they don't say the words Lishma, that is fine. It's true that when they were asked if it's Lishma, they responded, they're making sitzes, but they didn't say the words. So the first discussion that the Semach Tzedek has is, in general, does Lishma require articulation, that a person should say clearly, I'm doing something Lishma, or is it sufficient just to think Lishma? And he quotes a Gemara in Sukkah that seems to think that he wants to prove from there that thinking is successful, is, is, is enough. But then he said you could argue. One of the interesting points of the Chuvas, I'm not sure who did it exactly, probably the Tzemach Tzedek himself, but at different sections of the Chuva, he writes Kitsur. A brief summary of what he said above for the people that are more interested in the outcome than in the halachic discussion, this is a very helpful method of just seeing what the discussion was and, and, what, his, and what the upshot is. In the next Kitsur, in the next piece where he summarizes, he also quotes a Ramban that says, thought is enough. And he quoted a raya from Zvachim and from, from Shvuis and a raya from Psachim. And all these rayas, he said, you can... You can argue with, but he said, "What would happen 
if someone told you to do lishma and you did lishma. So then, would that be considered speech lishma? The person who made it did not say the lishma, but the person instructing him did use the words lishma. So even if you you would say that speech is important, perhaps there is speech here. So therefore, he says that these tzitzes are kasher after lechatchila. No, it, no questions whatsoever. There's no reason to look for other tzitzes. Tzitzes to be asnashim when the women responded and understood they're making tzitzes, making tzitzes is sufficient. Another tshuva that I found that was interesting was a tshuva about tefillin. On number yud gimel, you can see from the tshuva that the que- from the question how they approached. The Tzemach Tzedek, who probably at that time was not the Rebbe, but may have been already the son-in-law. The question was asked, a story about a person, a certain sofer, that they found a pair of film that he had sold, they opened it up, and they found that the parshios were put in the wrong order. Two witnesses were standing there when the parashios were opened, and they saw that the parashios were not put put in the proper place. They asked him, what should we do about the, this sofer? He's an older gentleman, he's rather indigent, and he has no other forms of sustenance. But, about seven years ago, there was a uh, somehow of a some sort of a rumor that he sold ritzuos of tefillin, but would, would that would not made the shema. That rumor had never been proven. On the other hand, about twenty years before, they found some of the tefillin he sold puzzle. His explanation for that was that his son-in-law was there. His son-in-law had studied Safras with him, and apparently his, his son-in-law made these mistakes. So, they're, they're asking this question of the Tzemach Tzedek, what to do. But then they added the comment that sort of gives away who these people are and what they're interested in. They said, we really should have written to the Admar Shlita. But he is not so well, Hashem Yirachim, we didn't want to bother him. And, and, and we're sure that whatever you write will be in accordance with the opinion of Admar. Whatever you say, that's what we'll do. The attitude toward the second Rebbe, the, the, whom we call, the nickname is the Mittler Rebbe, was that he should have passed in the question. To the best of my knowledge, we don't have tshuvas of the Mittler Rebbe, but we have many tshuvas, as I said, as we're learning about the Tzemach Tzedek. And it's interesting how the question should have been asked to the Mittler Rebbe, but nevertheless they asked the Tzemach Tzedek. And he answered, well, I'm not so happy about the fact that he put the, the tefillin in the wrong order. So, but... You could compare this to a, a, a certain case where a shochet made a mistake, but you have to differentiate between a case where a shochet made a mistake and he did it, he might have done it for monetary reasons, 
Here, there were no monetary reasons at all. There's no difference if you put the tefillin one way or another as far as the price goes or as far as the money goes. It was simply a mistake. So in such a case, he felt perhaps a slight, uh, like a slap on the wrist would be sufficient, enough to say, for example, uh, that you shouldn't write tefillin for a month or something like that. He's not considered amazing. But he said, what about the original rumors that I find very suspicious and I'm not sure what to do about it? Therefore, he did not find it proper to be mekil unless they hired someone else who would know the specific laws of writing tefillin, who would check to make sure that everything was ordered. In other words, the sofa himself as a person is kosher. He can write tefillin. I don't consider him anything personally wrong with him that would make him unfit to write tefillin. However, to make sure that tefillin are, are proper, someone should be there to check. And that is the basic psak of a Rebbe, of the Tzemach Tzedek. A question where you see the, uh, again, a question I would think would be addressed to a Rebbe more than to another type of, of question, was found in the Evan Ezer section, where in Shiva Kufman Beis, he was asked the question, a person was offered two shiduchim. One was a shidduch of a girl who was 15 years old. And the, the chasen, by the way, was 15. And he was offered a shidduch for a girl 15. There was another girl, 12 months, 12 years and 8 months. And the question was asked, which one to marry? Now to me, when I saw the question, I really didn't understand the question. I, of course, I'm not used to the ages of marriage that are mentioned in this, in this tshuva. But still, what's the shayla? You can marry a 15-year-old girl. You can marry a, 12 month, a 12-year-old girl. What is the shayla? And uh, the Tzemach Tzedek answers that perhaps, he quotes a source, that it, that's better to marry someone who's more capable of having children, and then he, and maybe a little bit older would be better. At the end, he says, since if every all things being equal, it would seem to me that the fifteen-year-old would be a better choice, but she could have children. They both could have children. And therefore, if the 12-year-old, an 8-month child, for some reason, is better, you can marry her. And he quotes, there's no reason to say that you cannot marry a girl above the age of 12, so therefore there's no problem whatsoever. Again, to me, this is more of a Hasidish type of question than I would think would be asked to a, a Rav of Misnagid. To go back to Arachayim, since we're already after Purim this year, anticipating Pesach, I'd like to mention one question in connection with Mechiras Chametz. In Arachayim, Simen Memches, the question was asked about one person buying the Chametz of the entire city. Apparently a Jew had gone and bought Chametz. It seems to me that what we do today is the Rav doesn't buy your chametz, he is a shaliach to sell your chametz. 
But apparently the custom here was that a person had bought the entire chametz of the city and he sold it all to a non-Jew. The non-Jew has no awareness at all of what he's buying. And the question is, is therefore this considered ha'arama? Is this considered a halachic ruse which might not be valid? Moreover, the non-Jew who was buying it himself was indigent. He didn't have money to pay for it. So the Tzemach Tzedek suggested that you write a detailed list of all the different types of chametz that you're selling. For example, you should write the flour, wheat, whiskey, spirit. Spirit is a type of liquor. Then he uses arik, sheichar. Every single min should be written specifically. Even though you don't know how much of each min is sold, but it should be each one should be written. They should also write the rooms, the places where the chametz will be, and he should rent the rooms. When he tells him he's selling everything and renting the room and giving him the keys, the non-Jew should be adjacent to the room, and therefore he said that's not considered harama at all. He, he, he mentions that a famous question of the Bukhar Shor was asked, how could chametz, mechiras chametz work at all? Isn't it obvious that it's a, just a, a, a halachic trick? And the, the answer was that it's only Yosemite Rabbanan because the chametz was mevutal. What are you selling? You're selling chametz that was mevutal. So, Midaraisa, you're not over once you're Mavatul Chametz. It's only that you're afraid, Midrabanan, so we sell the Chametz. Many people quoted this and disagreed with it because the re- you need a real Mechira because the Chametz that you sold is not included in the Beetle. And now the Tzemach quotes the Zayda, the Balatanya says clearly that chametz, which is sold, is not included in your in your beetle. Because you do intend to keep this chametz. It's true you intend to keep it, to sell it, and get. we understand to get it back, but he said that would not be included in beetle. But somehow, this is not considered, even though it's an halachic problem, that you have chametz, the, the mechir is not considered a forbidden type of harama, because the Kenyan actually works. The bottom line is he sold it. He also, of course, mentions the famous chumra of the Balatanya, that you have to have an Arev Kaplan. You have to have a co-signer on the, on the deal who will guarantee the, the payment of the money for the non-Jew. That's a famous chumra of the Balatanya. And he says, of course, you should do that. And then, for, therefore, you can sell your chametz. It's not considered harama. This question, of course, that the Tzemach Tzedek approved Mechiras chametz with all a lot of details that he specified about Mechiras chametz has become a, a very standard question that people have asked all over. In fact, in modern times, Reb Moshe Feinstein 
was asked about the supermarkets in America. It's very customary today that supermarkets sell their chametz. Some, uh, we should find out if the owners of these supermarkets are Jewish or not. And if they're Jewish, then you have a problem. So uh, many rabbis go into the local supermarkets and explain to the uh, owner of the supermarket that it's good for him, it's beneficial for him to sell his chametz. He's, he does a deal with the rabbi. And the other question is, is that considered a legal sale when the, the owner of the store himself will sell that chametz on Pesach? He, it's theoretically sold to a non-Jew, but nevertheless, the store is open as usual, and they sell the chametz that's on the shelves. So how could that possibly be considered a good mechira? And Rav Moshe says even that's considered a good mechira. Because legally, once it's sold, it is sold. The fact that the person afterwards sells it to someone else, so he's stealing, he's doing something illegal, immoral, and unethical. But nevertheless, the mechira is valid. One last tshuva that I'd like to mention, because... Uh, we discussed a similar question of the of the uh, Sanza Rebbe, was a tshuva about Cherem Drabin Gershom. There was a case where a certain uh, man said that his wife is repugnant to her. He just didn't want to stay married to her. And, of course, where the issue is she doesn't want to receive a get. So, here the question became a little bit more detailed because she was an older woman and was apparently incapable of having children. They had lived together for over 20 years. But he claims that she's a bad woman and he can't live with her at all. And they have no children. They had sons who passed away. And he has lived separately for, for, for six years already. Tzemach Tzedek begins by quoting an opinion that if a, woman, if a man claims Mo'os a man claims, I'm sorry, if a woman claims Mo'os a woman says, my husband is repugnant, then we force the husband to divorce her. He adds the Tzemachetic adds, that somehow this is based on the principle called the Mekadesh Adat the Rabbanon Mekadesh, Afkinu Rabbanon Kedushimine. The problem, of course, is to force him to give a get, because she says he's repugnant, is an issue of forcing a get, a get which is forced is, is problematic. He said this is together with the concept called them Kadesh Rabbanon Kadesh Rabbanon, that Rabbanon somehow would take away the Kedushin in such a case. Well, whether we pass in this way or not, in fact, uh, Tzemachetic says we really do not pass in that it's based on Afkinu, nevertheless we see from here that the Tana, the claim that someone, the, the, the husband is repugnant, is a valid claim. And we should force a get. Similarly, her claim should not be less than his claim. And therefore, he says, if in the case where he claims it, <coughs> we should allow him to give a get, even if she refuses to accept it. He also mentions that Cherem de Rabbeinu Gershom is not a dinda raisa, some question that we asked, discussed in the Divrei Chaim. He said it's less than a regular Durabanan. And therefore, he felt it should be no problem giving a get, especially in such a case. Because he says, I really think 
it, you, it would be sufficient. The reason Mosalai is sufficient. However, I'm afraid to be matir on that basis, the, you have to discuss it more. But since he has no children, she's not of the age where she's capable of bearing children. So it's Bimakam Mitzvah. So we had an issue. Can you abrogate or go against Cherem de Rabbeinu Gershom when it's Bimakam Mitzvah? Maybe Rabbeinu Gershom never even said it, Bimakam Mitzvah. Therefore, the bottom line is, he said for the purpose of allowing her to have children, of allowing him to have children, with both reasons, I think you can have a heter, but I do want to arrange a heter of Meir Abanim, and in which case I would allow him to give a get, Baal Karcha.